Um, God, fantastic. Thank you so much, Michal. All right, everybody. Sorry we're starting a little bit late. I apologize. Let's get straight to it, everybody. Our tefillos and our Torah is very important, so let's not waste any of the time that we have. Um, uh, thanks, everybody, for coming. I appreciate it. And uh, uh, we're going to do something a little different tonight, and I hope that's okay. And I hope that nobody was coming really stretching to learn to Hillen tonight because um, we did that all week last week, and we were going to do it again all again this week. But at the end of last week on Thursday night, um, we learned at the Hillen that surprised us or at least had us thinking and asking questions. Hillen Kuflam and Zion. It's uh, Al Naras Babel, if anybody's interested. So uh, you can find the recording of it. Um, um, I don't even know where, actually. Wherever the Shrata Mid SoundCloud goes. Um, and I have the link somewhere I could, I, you know, if you want it. And so then uh, send me, a, you know, uh, um, uh, and I'll send it back to you. Everybody who's at home, uh, Michal, thank you very much. Just drop the source sheet for tonight into the uh, into the chat. And everybody can open up if you have a Chumash in front of you, which I hope you do. We're going to learn tonight Voracious Parak Lamedalit. Now, Gracious Park Lamedalit is usually chapter you skip when you're learning Chumash. And so uh, we're going to learn it tonight because it's going to help us to uh, begin to discuss some of the questions that we were asking at the end of Tehillim Kuf Lamed Zayin. At the end of Tehillim Kuf Lamed Zayin, David HaMelech says about the Babylonians um, that uh, that they're going to get their comeuppance. And uh, Ashrei, praiseworthy, is the one who will uh, destroy the Babylonians. But more than that, David HaMelech says, is praiseworthy or Ashrei. Praiseworthy might not be the correct translation, but that's usually how we translate it. So uh, praiseworthy is the one who's going to, you know, uh, kill your children. That's really what he says. You know, and we were wondering at the end of Thursday night's year, and we were like, well, is that really how we're supposed to be thinking? Like praiseworthy is the one who will, you know, uh, will kill your children. And so um, the the first place in Tanakh, I think, where you find this question is in Bereshit's Paraklamidalit. And so uh, that's why it seemed reasonable to me uh, to start our discussion with the study of Bereshit's Lamidalit. But once I opened up Bereshit Lamidalit, it just made sense to me to actually learn the parak and not, uh, you know, just cherry pick the, the parts of it that we that we needed. So tonight we'll learn Bereshit Parak Lamidalit. We'll see how far we get and we'll pick up our discussion um, uh, tomorrow night, um, you know, if we uh, if we if we have to. That is the that is the plan. So let's uh, get into Bereshit Parak Lamidalit. It's a story that I imagine everybody knows, but I don't know that everybody um, ever or often learns really um, in, in depth, because like I said before, I don't know. I don't know why. It's the, I mean, I do know why. It's because we learn Boratius when we're younger. And we learn Boratius when we're younger, so this is not exactly the kind of story that you learn with uh, with younger with younger kids. And so that's probably why we skip Boratius for our Dalit. And then we don't always, as adults, go back to these sources and study them in uh, in great detail. And so let's start Boratius for our Everybody ready? Yeah, we'll read the Psukim, we'll read the Rishonim, just like we have with Talim, but we're just going to do it with Chumash right now. So, of course, the study will be very, very similar. I'll read, don't worry. Everybody ready? Does everybody have the page? Does anybody need help finding a spot? Everybody's good? So Dina, the, the daughter of... Oh, I am not going to read the whole parak right now. When we were doing Tehillim, I read the whole parak. right? This parak is uh, is much lengthier than the Tehillim that we were doing, 31 Psukim. So I'm not going to read the whole parak right now. We'll just go pasuk by pasuk. But everybody's familiar with the general storyline? Yes, I'll tell you the general storyline. Um, uh, everybody shook their head yes, and then I said I was going to do it anyway. It's okay, it's fine. Right? Um, uh, Dina um, gets taken by Shem, um, um, uh, Chamor, right? And uh, let's assume for our purposes right now, because the consensus amongst the Rishonim, although not all of the Rishonim assume that, but consensus amongst the Rishonim is that uh, is that Dina gets raped, and then um, uh, Shem wants to marry Dina, and uh, he comes to Yaakov and he has a conversation with um, Yaakov and uh, his sons. 
and they tell them that they have to get Brit Milah, which they do. And then Shimon and Levi kill the whole city. And then Yaakov and Shimon and Levi have a discussion at the end of the parrot um, about uh, why they did that. That's uh, pretty much the summary of the of the parrot. I didn't say anything right there that anybody doesn't, right? You're familiar? Good. Let's get to it. I'm going to translate, and you're going to notice right away that this is a very, very strange pasuk, right? Um, Dina, the daughter of Leah, who was born to Yaakov, went out to see the daughters of the land. Why is this a very strange pasuk? Go ahead. This will be the audience participation part of the program. Why is she Basleya? Very strange, right? Beyond that, why is she Basleya? What else did you say? You said it. Go ahead, Shana. What else did he say? Yoldaliakov. Very strange. Everybody, does everybody understand the questions Shana asked? These are very. These are basic questions that all of the Rishonim ask. So if you look in the source sheet that you have in front of you and look at Rashi, Rashi says Basleya velo Bas Yaakov. That's a question, right? Right? She's the daughter of Leah, and she's not the daughter of Yaakov. Now, Rashi, of course, knows that she's the daughter of Yaakov. The Pasuk knows that she's the daughter of Yaakov. Because the Torah, after it says Basleya, then says, Asher Yoldal Yaakov. But what Rashi's pointing out is this is very, very strange. And so what is the Torah trying to tell you? And Rashi does something that is very not politically correct right now. Rashi does something that is very not PC. Rashi says, Ella, al shen nikrate bat Leah. You know why the Torah calls her bat Leah? Because she went out. What does that mean? She went out. She went out into into the town and into the and into the market. And who else went out? This is very interesting. Shaafiya Sanitaisa. Leah also went out. Where does Leah go out? It's not exactly the example, but it's the right verb. Shenem Leah Likrato. You remember where that is? By the Dudaim. Exactly right. When Rachel gives the Dudaim to Leah, the Torah says that after Leah makes that deal with Rachel, you remember that? So Yaakov is coming back, he's coming in, and Leah goes out to greet him. So Rashi says, oh, Dina is Vatetse, right? Leah is also Vatetse. It is the same verb. It's true, right? And Rashi says, do you, do you know what the Torah is trying to tell us when it says that Dina is Bat Leah, that she used to go out? What is Rashi really, what is Rashi really saying here? No? Like it's not, it's not, yeah. But, but it's very not PC what Rashi is saying, Yeah. Rashi is telling you something about what's going to happen in the rest of the story, right? And Rashi is doing what they call in uh, modern society today, blaming the victim. That's what that's that's in essence what what Rashi is doing. What was that? What, who? I'm going to agree with you. I don't I don't know. I'm going to agree with you, right? Right. But okay, fine. But that's what Rashi that's what Rashi is saying, right? Rashi is Rashi said. Now it's interesting because we could even read Rashi in the beginning. I I read I read Rashi. The Lobat Yaakov as a question. We could have read that as a statement, right? In other words, Rashi could be saying, and this would make it worse. Rashi could be saying, Bat Leah, the Lobat Yaakov. The Torah is making a point to tell you that in this regard, Batetzedina, she is not Bat Yaakov. Now, the, the, the Torah says, Asher Yodal Yaakov. We'll get to that in a second. But it could be that Rashi is trying to make a point and trying to tell us that uh, Dina does something here, uh, which is, um, um, well, what the right word is. Um, but uh, was not the acceptable way of uh, women to behave at the time. And uh, as a result, perhaps invited to a certain extent overtures from Shem um, in, her, uh, in, in her direction. I do not believe, because I know the rest of Rashi's commentary on this parrot, and Rashi knows the rest of the story, I do not believe that Rashi is saying that therefore makes it okay what Shem did. I, that is obviously not what Rashi means. But what Rashi, I, I think, does mean to say is that, uh, is that Dina... Right, may have had some responsibility uh, to bear in what is going to happen next. Now, Dina might not be the only one who has responsibility to bear. I don't mean Shem, 
Shem obviously has responsibility to bear, but Dina might not be the only one in Yaakov's family who has responsibility to bear for what comes next, because we have to keep going in the in the Rishonim, but we'll get to Radak in a second. But before that, let's look at Malbim. And Malbim writes, Vatetse Dina, Modia Kidina Lo Ashma Bazer. The Malbim said the exact opposite thing of what Rashi just said. And that is that the Torah is trying to tell us that did not do anything wrong. Dina Lo Ashma Bazer. Now, Malbim obviously read Rashi. For sure he read Rashi. And therefore, the Malbim is telling you, right, that, that he believes different than Rashi. The Malbim is saying, Dina did not do anything wrong. Shalom Tomar Shepard Sagedar at Sneos. Don't tell me like Rashi says, right? That the, she violated some social construct that they had in those times. That was a terrible definition of sneer that I just gave, right? Um, well, well in, in, what, in some regards, not a terrible definition, but in some regards, a terrible definition. Because, oh, sorry, because Leah was a snua. I mean, what Malcolm is saying is don't badmouth Dina. And don't bad math Leia, because Rashi did both. Right? Rashi did both. And Malam is saying, no, don't tell me that. And why does the Torah tell us, right, that she is Asher Yodali Yaakov? Even if the Torah would have told us about Leia, why does it then repeat afterwards Asher Yodali Yaakov? Malam is saying, because the Torah wants to hammer this point home. The Torah wants us to tell us that she was um, like the daughter of Yaakov and behaved as you would expect the daughter of Yaakov to behave. Why did she go out? Well, the Torah tells us why she went out. She went out to make friends. She went out to see, you know, like, uh, what do the girls here do? I don't know. I'm new here. Yaakov bought this piece of property outside of, uh, outside of Shechem. By the way, it's very interesting. Um, I don't know if you ever noticed this, but this is the second piece of property that we own in Eretz Yisrael. The second. The first piece of property was the Murad HaMachpelah that Avram Avinu bought to bury Sarah. The second piece of property is a field outside of Shechem that Yaakov Avinu bought, which eventually became the burial place for Yosef. Very fascinating. No? Very, very interesting. Okay, good. But um, but meanwhile, right, they, they're in this plot outside of Shem, and uh, she decides, you know, Dina, that she wants to go see. You know, let me go, let me go meet some of the girls, you know, uh, from around here. Must have been lonely, you know, uh, not lonely, but, you know, uh, interesting for Dina growing up with, uh, you know, uh, with 12 brothers. And uh, and just her, I know the Midrashim, that they were born with twins. I know those Midrashim. But, you know, just uh, just Adarek Abshat, you know, I don't know, whatever. I don't know, ask Chaim later, you know, <laughs> what's it like? And now multiply. Right, you know, and it's, it's, so she went out. That's what Malbim says. If you look in the Radak, though, the Radak writes something very, very interesting. The Torah says, "Asher Yodali Yaakov." Now, according to Malbim, the Torah says, "Asher Yodali Yaakov." The Torah wants to tell us that Dina didn't do anything wrong. Don't read like Rashi, but look where the Radak writes. Ooh, the Radak writes, "Why is the Torah stressed that she was born to Yaakov? Because the Torah wants to hint to us that Yaakov Avinu bears responsibility for what's about to happen in the story. Remember, I said a few minutes ago that Dina is not the only one who bears responsibility. Shem is not the only one who bears responsibility, but Yaakov Avinu bears responsibility. Why does Yaakov Avinu bear responsibility? So, if you look in the Radak, it's in Parshas Vayishlach um, Perak Lamedet. I gave you Rashi here because Rashi explains it a little bit clearer there, but the Radak says the same thing. And uh, you remember when Yaakov Avinu is coming back to Yisrael and he's going to meet up with his brother Esav." Um, that's where these psukim come from. You remember this story? And uh, the Torah says that Yaakov separates out his family, the Esachadasar Yeladav, and he separates out also his 11 sons. And the, we showed him over there, like Rashi in front of us, Rashi asked, well, where was Dina? Vidina Hecha Haisa. She's not listed in one of the groups that Yaakov Avinu sets up 
when he's setting up camp to meet up with Asav and he divides up his camp, you know, and he says that and, and Dina is not there. So where 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 was she? And so Rashi says, remember what Rashi says? She was hidden, right? Rashi says that he put her in a box, right? Because he didn't want Asav to see Dina. How come he didn't want Asav to see Dina? Because he's thinking to himself, Asav's gonna see Dina. Apparently, Dina was a very good looking lady, right? Um I I I assume that because Yaakov is nervous that Asav is going to see her and uh, and want to marry her. I, I maybe maybe this is my shallowness, but I don't think that that what Rashi means is that Asav was going to have deep, meaningful conversation with Dina, right? And decide, oh, this is the girl that I want to live the rest of my life with. I, I don't think so. And in our parsha that we're studying right here, Shem sees Dina, right? Um, and uh, and the rest of the story unfolds again. I, I, you don't find anywhere in the Torah that Shem and Dina had deep, meaningful conversation. In fact, you, you, it seems to assume the opposite. What happens in the Torah, and so and so, I assume that uh, that Dina must have been a, a very, a very good-looking um, young woman. I don't know how old she was. I could have figured it out, but I didn't take time to figure it out. I apologize for that. Um, now that it's like you know coming to my head, maybe that would have been an interesting factoid. But um, but in any event, ya- Yaakov puts her in a box because Yaakov doesn't want Asaph to see her and and want uh, and want to marry her, and Yaakov doesn't want Dina to have anything to do with Asaph. Now, if you look at the very end of this Rashi, right? A Rashi says, "Vilakach" at the end of the line, "Vilakach nenas Yaakov shemenaame achiv shema mutav." That it was possible, maybe it could have been that um, that Dina could have had a positive effect on uh, on Esav, and uh, and because Yaakov did not allow that to happen, um, he gets punished. Now, how does Yaakov get punished? Because this is a funny kind of thing. How does Yaakov get punished? What was Yaakov nervous about? He was nervous that Dina would be taken by Esav. What ends up happening? Dina gets taken by Shem. Now, who's that a punishment for? That's what I would have said. This is a very funny kind of thing that the Radak and Rashi are saying, isn't it? This is interesting. I just had this conversation recently. I don't remember. It was somebody in my family because I was in a car when I had this conversation. But um, I think that we understand intuitively in the physical world how sometimes our actions can affect other people. Does that does that does that make sense? Like I do something and it affects you. You didn't do it, but you have to deal with it. Yeah, you ever you ever have that? Imagine the following scenario. Does everybody here drive? You don't drive, but does everybody here? Some people here drive. Yeah. You park your car on the side of the street. You do nothing wrong. Everything's totally cool. Everything's fine. Somebody just comes by and sideswipes you. Right? You know? You didn't do anything wrong. You, you, mama, you didn't do anything wrong, but you have to deal with it now. Yeah, that's really annoying. That happens though. Yeah, sometimes you ever have this with like one of your siblings, like they just do something and it's like really annoying, and now you have to deal with it. Yeah, in the physical world, right? I think we all recognize that that concept exists. What's interesting and sometimes difficult bridge for us to 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 get across is that in spiritual world that happens also. In a spiritual world, I can do something that will have effects on other people. That could be good and that could be bad. I can do sin, which will bring negative energy into the world, and that has effects on other people. I can do good, which will bring positivity into the world, and that can have effects on other people. Yeah, is, is everybody with me? And I think that that's this kind of construct that we're looking at here. Yes, Dina ends up you know, um, in, in a terrible situation, and the Radak is saying that in part that's Yaakov Avinu's fault. <laughs> I, but I, you know, you stay on the good side. This is why you stay on the good side. No, 
Because like, how do you live with yourself if you, you know, see that kind of calculus? And does everybody understand what I'm saying? I'm saying like, how do you, you know, you see that kind of calculus and you realize that my actions played a role in somebody else having, you know, whatever kind of difficulties that that they had, you know? So that's why you stay on the good. You know, it's like the Rambam in Hukos Chuba, the Rambam says, like, you see the world, it's supposed to be like, you know, half and half. And like, if my actions can tip the whole world onto good and my actions can tip the whole world onto bad. And sometimes we like to think to ourselves that like we live in our own cocoon. Like, what does it matter to you? You know, what, what I do, but people are not that way. We don't live in our own cocoon. We have attachments and a lot of attachments. And our actions, they spread and they affect not only us, but they affect other people also. Sometimes it's like easier not to think that way because, you know, then I can just, you know, do what I want to do. And I don't have to worry about everything else. But that's not what we believe. We believe that there are, uh, you know, dense interwebs that uh, connect all of us. And when we bring positive energy, when we bring positivity, when we, when we do well, we bring godliness into the world. It spreads, lifts up other people, affects other people. And, uh, and and unfortunately, when we do the opposite, it, it affects other people also, um, and it brings uh, you know uh, negative energy um, into the into the world. And so we got to stay. We got to stay on the stay on the good. We gotta stay on the on the good side, not just for ourselves, but for um, but for but for everybody, but for everybody else as well. Everybody Hirsch writes similarly to what we saw in the in the Malvin, but um, um, it, it's okay. We we don't need a we don't need to read this right now. Um, now, what's interesting, the Ramban, maybe Alderach Hapshak, like really Alderach Hapshak. If you look in the Ramban, the Ramban writes, Again, that's the question that we started this whole year with so far, right? Why does the Torah have this strange phrase, Basleya, Shoyodel Yaakov, right, right? So the Ramban says, I'll tell you why it is. The to- what's going to happen in the rest of the story? Shimon and Levi are going to go kill the whole city of Shechem. And what the Ramban is saying is, did you ever wonder why it was Shimon and Levi that killed the city of Shechem? about everybody else? So the Ramban says, I'll tell you why. The Torah is telling you why. Because she was bat Leah. What does that mean that she was bat Leah? It means that Shimon and Levi were her brothers. Now, she also had other brothers. That is that is true. Right? But and So that is why Shimon and Levi are the ones who pick up vengeance for her. And then the Torah says, well, Yaakov, don't think that it was only the children of Leah who cared about Dina. No, they all cared about Dina, but I'll tell you why it was Shimon and Levi who really picked up the sword, literally, right? And that's because that was their sister. What's that the original it. point? You knew that. Had the Torah only said what? Nothing. Dina. We know Dina. Right? Ah, so the Ramban, I think, is saying is that the Torah wants us to realize why Shimon and Levi specifically, right? Now, now you're, you're right, Kevin, in the, in the sense that if the Torah just would have said Dina, I would have known that she's Batleya. I would have known that Shimon and Levi are her brothers. But I think what the Ramban is trying to say is that the Torah does give us these extra words in order to emphasize this, uh, this point, that Shimon and Levi felt a stronger sense of responsibility, hurt, sadness, outrage, indignation. I don't know what the right word is, but I tried to give a bunch. Right. You know, uh, and that's why the rest of the story unfolds the way that it uh, the way that it does. I think that's what the Ramban is is uh, is getting at. Good. So we've done we've done Pasakalaf. Dina, the daughter of Leah, 
who was born to Yaakov, went out to see the daughters of the land. By the way, you remember before when I said that Shem and Dina don't appear to have deep, meaningful conversation? It's because of this Pasuk that I said that. It's because what does the Torah say? What's the verb the Torah uses? Vayar Osa. Shem saw her. That's the only thing that the Torah tells us, is that Shem saw her. Apparently, that's the only thing that happened, right? Is that Shem saw her. Vayikach Osa. Vayishkav Osa. Vayi'aneha. And he takes her. And if you look in the Malbim in Pasuk Pet, Vayikach Osa. Biyar Chazaka. Ve'en Matzil Biyado. Vayikach here is an active, um, coercive uh, taking. Vayikach Osa. He, like, grabbed her. He hired, and no one could help her. Well, why? He hired a tiaret. Shem was the prince of the land. And in this, there's a threefold sin, the Malbim says. Aleph, took her, right? Bet, that's very interesting, right? And this, the Malbim is going to run this through the whole parak, by the way, so don't just like gloss over it, right? But, uh, but the, you know, because if we think ahead to the rest of the story, right, what do the brothers, El, Shem, and Chamor, what do they actually say to him? They say to him that, yeah, they say to him that, no, no, we can't give Dina to you because you're uncircumcised. And that's, that's, uh, that's, uh, something that's, uh, embarrassing for us. We, we, we can never do that. So the second, the second sin is personal to the Jews. It's not something, something that necessarily, you know, uh, um, uh, global or, uh, you know, uh, that Shem might've even known about, you know, uh, but, but it is from the perspective of uh, of us, it is the second sin. And Gimel Vayaneha, Kilonis Ratzes, Vahya Ones Etzla, Venechshav Lalinoi. And the third is that that uh, that she was raped. That's the that is that is the third. Okay. So 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 compound sin um that uh, that Shem does, and it's it's terrible, it's terrible stuff. It's terrible stuff. Okay. So we've got two siblings. Pasa Gimel. Now this this is interesting because now after that. Right, he Shem right now becomes attached to Dina Bas Yaakov. And he loves her, and uh, he speaks Alevanara. What does that mean that he speaks on her heart? So if you look in Rashi, Rashi writes something so interesting. I, I okay, what, look, I, I, what Malbim writes is whatever. Um, he, he, Works better for me, but look what Rashi says. Rashi says, Shem says there, he's like, listen, I see your father out there. He's got this small little piece of land. He had to pay two hundred kasita in order to get it. It's like, look at what I got. The prince over here. I got all of this land. I got everything. You know, he's like the guy who drives, you know, up, tries to pick up girls in a Lamborghini or something like that. You know, whatever. Never tried it before. I don't know. But, you know, you know, but, you know, like something like that. Right. You know, he's like, come on, Dina. I mean, come on. Where, where are you going to go? What, what are you going to do? You want to go out there and live outside the city on this small piece of land? You can have everything. Stay here with me. You can have, you can have everything. That's, that's what Rashi says. Right, that uh, that Shem says to Dina. Uh, oh, you think so? I don't think so. I read it. No, no, I understand what you're saying. I, I read it by Yidaber Alevanara, meaning he was trying. By Yidaber, he was talking Alevanara. You're saying that it worked. I don't know that it worked. I don't. I don't know that it worked. If you look in the Malbim, I, no, no, I'm not sure. I, I didn't read it like that. I still don't read it like that. But but I understand what you're saying. But if you look in the Malbim, I don't know when I read this Malbim, I was like, yeah, obviously. 
The mom says, Vaidaber Alivanara, Sha'arata Rachtava Behemis, Shalo Yitzakalebashanava. Right. Until now, Shem was a behema. He was, he was, he was an animal. He was an animal. Right? Shim Shiova Behemet Loya Osala Nivalazos, Shaya Kiretzach Batsmusah. Right? He was like, well, people don't behave like Shem behave. It's like Retzach. Mamash, Retza. Right, there's actually, um, oh, now that I, now that I read that, I didn't hear that before. There is actually a, um, a parallel in the Torah between Retza and, and Ones. That's where we learn that, um, that's where we learn the lemur. The lemur is from Narahamurasa. No, from Naram Rasa to Retzach. Yeah? No. I'm going to remember it's a Gemara in Sanhedrin. Oh, it's terrible. Okay, whatever. There was nobody there. That's right. That's right. I don't remember the whole Gemara. Yeah, exactly. That's the right Gemara. We're on the same page, Sasha. Yeah, we're on the same page. I don't remember all the details. Okay, whatever. The point that the Malam is getting at. Is that is that I mean what what Shem did? It's like it's like uh, it's like Retzach. That's animals. That's not that's not how people act. Rock, rock. But then when his animal instinct, you know, uh, waned, he realized that he really liked Dina. And then he felt bad for what he did. And then he tries to talk to her to try to, I don't know what, you know, explain to her, I'm not really a bad guy. I don't know how that went, and I don't know what he said. But that's what the, that's what the, that's what the Malbin says, right? So, he's talking on her, he's talking on her heart, Rashi or the Malbin. The Yaakov Shoma, now Yaakov here is Pasakei, that Dina, his daughter, was defiled. Meanwhile, his kids were not home, his sons were out. With the cattle in the fields, the Hecharish Yaakov ad Boam, and Yaakov is quiet. He doesn't say anything. He finds out about it. And he doesn't say anything. Rabbi Hirsch writes something so fascinating over here. Yeah, look, look at Rabbi Hirsch writes on the bottom. Um, am I a pasuk off over here? I don't know. Whatever. Rabbi Hirsch writes on the bottom. Um, oh, did I skip? What did I do here? Oh, I skipped the pasuk. Everybody tell me, I skipped Pasuk Dalet. Everybody see what I just did? I, I skipped Pasuk Dalet before. Shechem says to Chamor's father, Is that amazing? No? No one else, no one else thinks it's amazing. Okay, look at what Rabbi Hirsch says. Maybe it's amazing because I know what Rabbi Hirsch says. Rabbi Hirsch says that she is to become his wife seems to be a matter purely dependent on his wish. Yeah? He says to Chamor's father, Right. Take this woman, right, to be my uh, to be my wife. As if he says it, and it's going to happen. After all, he's the lord of the manor, and she is a foreign Jewish girl. It's crazy and terrible to think that this is how the world used to be. But this is how the world used to be. This is really what it was like. He was the lord of the manor. He was the prince of the town, and he said, "This is what I want," and that's what used to happen. This is how it is. It's entirely, I mean, like, amazing, not in a good way, you know, but just because in my, my naivete, which is like quickly disappearing, 
in the world that we that we find ourselves in right now, you know? But, you know, because, like, I like to think that the world is a good place, you know what I mean? Because I grew up in the United States when I grew up in the United States. So, obviously, right, the world is a good place. Did I ever tell you this story? I moved down to Memphis, Tennessee, right before President Obama um, was elected the first time. Was that 2008? Right? I think that's because that's when I moved to Memphis, so it's got to be in 2008, right? Um, and I moved down in the summer. So I moved down in August uh, of 2008. So November right is soon is soon after right and uh and i remember the day after um obama was elected the first time i remember i walked into the Baronhurst synagogue in memphis tennessee and there was a lady who worked in the office there very fine lady i think she still works there gwen moody very very fine lady african-american lady she worked in the office in the in the shul and uh she grew up in memphis and she's probably i would guess like 20 years older than me maybe 30 years older than me maybe 30 years older than me, you know, um, whatever. She grew up in Memphis. She's 30 years older than I am. That's my guess. I'm not really sure. I never asked her how old she was. It's not nice to do that, you know. I didn't. I didn't. I never I never did, right? And uh, and I remember I walked into shul the next morning, and she looked at me, and she said, Rabbi, I do not believe you. And I said, I, honestly, this is really what happened. I looked at her, in a, and I said, you don't believe what? And she said, she looked at me like I was crazy. And she said, I don't believe that a black man is going to be the president of the United States. And I looked at her with the same amazement. And I said, well, wasn't that inevitable? That's real conversation. Now, that's my naivete. I understand. And, you know, I, I understand it now. But growing up where I did and when I did, for me, was like, I mean, I guess like if I put on like my historical glasses, I understand like this is a momentous, you know, like event, which I understand. But from my like lived life experience, you know, uh, I was like, yeah, right, oh, okay, right, you know, I mean, whatever. But okay, but her lived life experience, right, was totally different. Was totally different, and she could not, she could not believe it. And in the same way, like really, really, in the, in the same way, like I really, like I, I guess from my lived life experience, I really thought the world was different. I really did. I'm being serious. I know it's like everyone's like like listening to me probably and being like, you fool, you know, like, how could you ever think that? But I did. I did. I really thought that the world was different, but it's not. But it's not. It's it not. Sort of it not is. It is. It is different. What? It is. Isn't that so sad? Isn't that so terrible? No? Not, what? I hope so. Oh no no! I, I'm not. I'm not thinking that the world is cyclical. Cyclical like that. No no no! I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I don't believe that we're doomed and destined to relive the like the ancients, you know, uh, believed that we're doomed and destined to relive, you know, uh, the stories over again. And there's nothing that we can. No, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. But I did think that we were further. I don't know. Maybe we're all the way at the end. But I thought the trajectory was going to be different. I'm like Moshe Rabbeinu. You remember? Oh, did everyone just hear what I just said? <laughs> When Moshe Rabbeinu goes down to Mitzrayim, right? <laughs> the Rambam says, oh, I'm now, I am now on my third tangent within my tangent, but it's okay, so long as I can remember to close the circle. The Rambam writes, I think it's in the seventh parak of Hilchos Teshuvah, that you have to believe that you can be a tzaddik like Moshe Rabbeinu. That's what the Rambam says. That's, that's right. So, but I'm like Moshe Rabbeinu. God told Moshe Rabbeinu, go down to Mitzrayim and get the Jews out. And Moshe Rabbeinu went down to Mitzrayim. He told Tara, I want to let the Jews out, but what happened? Tara made things worse. And then Moshe Rabbeinu 
turns to Hakadosh Baruch Hu and he says to him, "Lama Lama He says to God, "God, this is not what's supposed to happen. I was supposed to come down here. The Jews were supposed to go out, but now it's getting worse. What the heck is going on?" That's what Moshe Rabbeinu says to God. That's what he says. So I feel like Moshe Rabbeinu a little bit. That's what, that's what I feel like. I feel like we were we were we were getting better. We were on a good trajectory, and and now what the heck is going on? Like we're back in the Stone Ages, not the Stone Ages, the Middle Ages, right? You know, right? We have the wheel and electricity. We're not in the Stone Ages. We're back in the Middle Ages. They didn't have electricity. I know everybody, right? No, what? They don't have either. I see what you did there. I see what you did, right? Okay, fine. <laughs> Terrible. All right, fine. Very good, right? So back to back to our story, right? But that's but but no, but but Lisa, you're right. That's 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 what it was. That's what it was. That's, and and here we are. And here we are. Right? So back to Pasuk which I already read. The Yaakov, Shema Yaakov heard, I'm not going to read it again. Yaakov heard what happened to Dina, right? And his sons were out in the in a field. The Hecharish Yaakov Advoan. And Yaakov is quiet until they come. So first of all, look at what Radak writes. This is really a remarkable Pasuk. Uh, if, when we read the words of the Rishonim, it really is remarkable. The Hecharish Yaakov, Shalona San Kol Be'ir, Velohit Ra'em Advoan. You understand what the Radak is saying? Yaakov didn't tell anybody. He didn't want, did not want word to get out in the city. He wanted his sons to come home, and he wanted to tell them by by himself. He wanted to tell them by himself. Yeah. In other words, you know what Yaakov was nervous about? Yaakov was nervous that this is going to get out in the social media, right? And who knows what the brothers are going to hear when they hear it all the way out in the field. And so Yaakov, he sits, and he's quiet, and he just waits for them to come home. That like, you know, like wait to have accurate reporting so that the information is correct and accurate and I don't need to be the first one to to throw it out and I don't need to trust the first thing that, you know, uh, that gets posted somewhere or I don't want to be the one who spreads the false information because I'm in a rush to get something out or whatever, whatever it is. That's what their doc said that Yaakov Avinu didn't want to happen. He finds out what happened to Dina. He knows that his sons are out there and he's like, I'm just going to wait until they get back. So that I can have a conversation with them because I don't want them to find out. And I don't want something else to spread around or whatever, whatever it is. The Malvin writes something different. The Malvin writes, If Yaakov would have found out in advance something might have been happening, or that something could have happened later, he would have ran right away to 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 do whatever he could to save Dina. But since he found out that it already happened, Yaakov said this already happened, so now I can take a second and I can think and I can plan, right? Which, I don't know, struck struck me. You know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if anybody else has been feeling this the past few days, but when I read this Malbim, it like gave me like a sense of calm for a second. I don't know if anybody else has been feeling this, but we've sort of just been like waiting for a few days. Has anybody else been like feeling that? You know, like where like something terrible happened and we know what's going to happen next. But it's not happening yet. No? Am I the only one who's been feeling that? Just like waiting? I know the Air Force is working. I'm aware. Right? And they're also clearing the way for the ground invasion. I know. Right? But like I just, every time I check the news, what I'm like thinking to myself is, I'm like, you know, did, did we go into Gaza? Right? Did we, you know, like uh, what's, What's going to happen? You know, what's going to happen next? Kind of, kind of thought process. And the album here he gave me like pause to like, 
like be able to think and calm down. And Malvin was like, okay, it's okay to take a second and to plan. You know, it's it's okay to take a second and to think because because what happened happened, and and as terrible as it is, I can't change it. What I can do now is take the next best step that I can. And if it takes me a minute to figure out what that next best step is, then I'll take that minute. That's what Yaakov said, according to the Malbim. Yaakov is quiet. He waits for his son to get home. He says to himself, I could rush right now and do something. Yaakov may have had a plan. I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know. But Yaakov made a decision. He decided rushing right now is not necessarily going to help me. I can take a minute and I can think and I can plan. And so he says, I'm going to wait till my son's come home. And then we'll we'll figure things out. We'll figure things out together. That's what the Malbim thinks. Why the Torah tells us that Yaakov is quiet and he waits until his son's until his son's come home. Rabbi Hirsch writes something very telling. Rabbi Hirsch writes that Yaakov's silence shows the whole situation. Had there been a question here of getting anything done by reason, by resort to rights or anything to that nature, Yaakov would certainly have not remained silent. If the old gray-haired father goes to the Lord and demands his dishonored daughter back, if there was any hope at all of the voice of justice and rights to be listened to, the impression made would certainly be greater than achieved by the younger sons and brothers. Yaakov's silence shows that he already beforehand knew only too well how hopeless any appeal to justice or human rights would be. And the only way would be some resort to force, which would be a matter for younger hands. You know, Senator Rabbi Hirsch is saying this is really interesting. Why is Yaakov quiet? Because Yaakov already knows that no one's going to listen to him. He knows that he can appeal for rights and justice, and he can explain the history of the situation, and he can tell everybody how he was harmed and wronged and what happened to Dina and, and everything like that. And he knows that nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to listen. It, it's just not how it's going to play out. And Shem is not going to care. And the court system in in uh, Shem or the you know, uh, the court system in the in the UN or the, they're not going to listen. They're not going to care. There's nobody to appeal to. And so Yaakov knows that the only way to resolve this problem is going to be by force. And Yaakov at this point in the story is somewhere around 97 years old. And so Yaakov decides to himself, well, that's how it's going to be. I'm going to have to wait for my son. I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to wait for them to, to come back and to get here. Now, by the way, if this is true, just start thinking ahead towards the, the end of the story. Yeah, if this is true, then we have to start wondering, well, hang on a second. If Yaakov knew, and you ever, you ever, by the way, where is Dina right now? Anybody know? She's with Shem. She's still there, right? She's still there. Now, Matizial might think that that she's there because she wants to be there, but I don't think so, right? I don't think so, right? And so, and so, um, and so, we have to start wondering, you know, towards the end of the story. Well, if Yaakov knew that this is what they needed to do, then why does he get upset? Because we know he gets upset, right? So that's that's one of the, like the most important questions in the whole story. Right, is that Yaakov is right? The, the essential question, <laughs> the essential question that we're going to have to deal with, and it looks like maybe tomorrow night that we're actually going to get up to it and not tonight. But the essential question, and I'm sorry for everybody, if you know, if that, that's going to play out. I apologize. But the essential question is, right, who's right? Yeah, who's right? You know, because there's different actors here. Shem is wrong. But there's Shimon and Levi, and there's Yaakov, and they say different things. And the essential question is, who's right? Right? I mean, that's, that's where we're going to, that's where we have to be. Right? But it's going to take us a few minutes to get there. So we're up to Pasuk Vav. And we're going to read Pasuk Vav and Pasuk Zayim together. So Yaakov finds out. He hears right, what happened. And he's quiet. He's waiting for the sons. Meanwhile, 
Um, Hamor, that's Shem's father, so he's a king, presumably, right? Shem is a prince, so Hamor is a king. And he goes to talk to Yaakov. Uvnei Yaakov bo kishamam. Now, Yaakov's sons, they end up finding out anyway. Yaakov didn't want that to happen, right? That is what happened. They end up finding out, they hear something, they come back from the field, by yisatzvu anashim. What does that mean? They are? By yisatzvu. Sad. Thank you very much. They're sad. By yisatzvu anashim. And they are angry. Now, sad and angry are not the same emotion. Right? I'm going to read this lovely Malbim over here. I'm not going to read the whole thing right now, but you can read it. It's right here. You have it here in front of you. The Malbim writes, but you don't, you don't need a Malbim for this. Now that we pointed out what the Malbim says, we can we can just we can figure it out. Why were they sad? This is what happened. They were sad for Dina. And why were they angry? They were angry because who does things like that? When you see cruelty and inhumanity, you get angry. You, you get sad for the victims, and you get angry because who does things like that? <laughs> Ridiculous. Who does things like that? So they're sad, and they're angry. What? Yeah. Yes. Oh wait, is that you're saying that's not human? Not that it's not human, but going to be angry. Some is going to be angry. Yeah. Yeah. With the sadness, like uh, ah, interesting, interesting. Yeah. So again, Malbim is going to continue to run this theme straight through. Now, if you remember Malbim that we learned earlier. Right, Malbim said that the sin that Shem perpetuated um, had multiple parts to it. You remember that? Yes. And one part was that Shem was Arel. And that was like, you know, uh, for the Jews, that was an affront. Another was that he was Ina as Dina, right? And and that's like inhumane. And right, look at that. And what the Malbim is going to say <coughs> is that those emotions that they have here also tie back to the sins that he committed. That they were sad for Dina, and part of what they were sad for Dina is that it happened to her, and part of that they were sad for Dina is that he was Arel, which for them was like this, like you know, stain, you know, for them, and 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 then they were angry because he was Ina. So so again, Malvin weaves the the he weaves the whole story. That's just that's his weave, right? That's how he that's how he puts it all together. Fine. Right, but let's keep going in the Pesukim. By Yichar Lahem Od, he gets very angry. That's not what happens. Now, Rashi writes something that's that's remarkable, and all of the Rishonim don't like this Rashi. But Rashi writes, Rashi writes, means that, that nobody does that. That's not the thing that the Jews don't do that. That no, that was this was not acceptable in the world to rape girls like that. It's unacceptable in the world. Why was it unacceptable in the world? Because after the Mabel, Noah, I guess, came out of the Teva and he told all of his kids, right, that there's certain things that you just don't do. And this was one of the things that Noah told his kids that you don't do. And nobody did things like this. Now, the other Rishonim, they don't like this Rashi. How come they don't like this Rashi? Because when you read the Torah, you get the impression that people really did things like that. You remember what happens when Avraham 
goes down to Mitzrayim. You remember that? You remember what happens when Yitzchak goes to Grar by the by the Plishnim? Yeah, right. So all of the Rishonim they say, "What are you talking about, Rashi? You just read the Chumash. That's all after Noah. That's all after the Mabul. Yeah. What? There's also what? That what? Oh, that's oh yeah, but that's our mitzvah. Oh, you're oh, you're saying that that God no, no, but I think that God does command us to do things that we would do anyway, and God does command us to do things that that non-Jews do. God commands us to honor our parents. I don't think that we're the only people in the world who honor our parents, right? God commands us. God commands us not to kill. Now, I, don't laugh. Don't laugh. People don't kill. People do kill. I know, but people don't kill. Maybe I'm not, a, I don't know, maybe my world is not as shattered as it because here I am saying that people don't kill, right? But I don't know, maybe not. Maybe you're right. No, you're right. You're probably right. We'd be nothing. Yeah, we, we'd be nothing. You're right. No, it's not true what I'm saying. It's not true. No, there are mitzvahs that we would do anyway. I'm not lost on humanity yet. I'm not lost on humanity yet. There's things that we would do anyway. There are. Maybe not. I don't know. I'm not sure anymore. Like Ken said, it's like this should... mm, no, I don't think so. Because he said no, you gotta you gotta keep reading. Shall almost He actually says it. He says it that the, the nations of the world got together. They made a fence for themselves, Minarayos. They didn't do Arayos. So look at the Ramban. So we don't have to fight about this. Look at the Ramban. The Ramban says, I don't know what Rashi's talking about, but Loya Dati says, you can't read Rashi. You can't, I mean, you could read Rashi, but 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 it can't be the way that Rashi the way that Rashi says. So what the Ramban thinks is just means kinavala is that to, to, we didn't behave like that to do that for us. We we lived by a different moral code. We lived by a different moral code, and things that were acceptable and were done in the general society were not acceptable and not done in our society. And so they came back and they said, In our world, this is unacceptable. In our world, this is not acceptable. That's what the that's in Bikhain Now what's interesting, um, if you look in Rabbi Hirsch again, Rabbi Hirsch writes, their pure innocentina was no longer there. They had lost even if they had succeeded in getting her back out of the hands of Shem. Now, by the way, I don't know, that's an emotion that I feel um, you know, these days also. You know? Well, because even if we if we I'm, you know, even if we get everybody back right now. We lost. We lost. No, we'll win. But uh, but we've lost. We've lost. They're right. So their personal feelings toward their lost sister. Then the wicked deed filled them with fiery indignation. An act showing complete moral degeneration. A disgraceful act. It's a word we can use today. Nivala. Yeah. It's a word that we can use today. It's a word that we've seen. Shem would not have dared to treat the daughter of a citizen in such a matter, infringing on the rights of a respectable community, only because she was a Jew girl, a Bat Yaakov, could it have happened, and that affected them deeply. Do you understand what Rabbi Hirsch is saying, that the brothers realized the Chaim lo Ya'aseh, right? Oh, who was saying this? Uh, oh, um, whatever. The Chaim lo Ya'aseh, Rabbi Hirsch is reading like Rashi. What does it mean, the Chaim lo Ya'aseh? It means he never would have done this to a citizen of Shem. He did it to Dina because she was a foreigner. She was a Jew girl, right? That's why he felt like he could do this to her. And the brothers realized at this moment, Rabbi Hirsch says, they realized at this moment that that was their world, that that was their world. They were those Jews. And the people thought that this was okay because they were those Jews. People thought that uh, they were the right to do this because they were, because they were different. And that affected them deeply. 
they were immediately to find out that cases could arise, as here, where it was a question of saving purity and morality, where one could wish to take the sword out of Esau's hands and into one's own. And that was, and they were fired deeply with indignation. Do you see Rabbi Hirsch is setting up here? That the brothers at this point start to wonder to themselves, am I supposed to kill all these people? That's what the brothers are starting to wonder right now. How are we ever going to be able to live here? What do people think is okay to do? Are we supposed to take Esau's sword? You see what he did there? Because it's not Kol Kol Yaakov, They actually just met with Esau because that's just, Yaakov just came back into the land of Israel. They met with Esau. They separated out. There are ways. We're in Parshas Vayishlach. That's where, that's where we are, right? Yaakov just met up with, with Esau. So they just had this encounter with Esau. And now they're wondering, well, maybe, maybe, maybe we're supposed to act like that. Maybe that's what we're supposed to do. I'm going to set up the rest of the story, yeah? That's 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 what happens over here, right? Okay, good. We're off the bus of Ket. I'm going to read a few psukim together. We've got a few minutes left tonight, and we're going to have to finish the story tomorrow. Uh, oh, you know what? I can rush. I'm not going to rush. Pasuk Yudgimel is where all the action is. We'll read up until Pasuk Yudgimel. Tomorrow we'll start Pasuk Yudgimel. That's where all the action is, right? <laughs> I mean, we've read some of the action already, but, you know, that's where, like, you know, they were shown him. I don't know, they tackled the real question in Pasuk Yudgimel. Right? Maybe let's just get to it. I have to be the one who makes this decision. Yes, I have to be the one who makes this decision. Um, I, I'm not, yeah, yeah, because I can't do all the answers in six minutes. It's not enough time. We're going to have to get, we're going to go up to Pasuket Gimel tonight, and tomorrow night we're going to start with Pasuket Gimel, which is where the Rishonim asks the essential question. Good. So we're up to Pasuket Gimel. Um, <laughs> So Chamor starts talking, and he says, my son Shechem, he, uh, by the way, because we like learning Malbim here, Malbim notes, and we can't do this right now, he notes that there are three different verbs of attachment that the Torah uses here between Shechem and Vina. One is Davak, one is Ahav, and one is Chashak. And Malbim does explain what each of them mean and why, why they're all different, right? But it doesn't change our story. So Shechem, right, desires um, um, Adina. So Tanana also lo isha. Let's let them get married. We'll, we'll, we'll invite you in. You know, like, why did he have to say this? And we'll marry your daughters, right? And we'll give your sons to, we'll give our sons to your daughters. Why did he have to say that? The Malvim says, you know why he had to say that? Because obviously up until this point, that was not allowed. Up until this point, Right, the Jews were other; they were outside. Right, we they wouldn't marry them. So now Hamor, because he's a king, he could do stuff like this. Right, he's gonna like, we'll let you guys come in. We'll marry your daughters. Your daughters can marry our sons. We'll change the laws. The Itanu Peshevu, you can live with us. The land will be open to you. and you can settle here. Now Shem starts to talk. So first Chamor was talking. Why was Chamor? Why was Chamor talking? Because he was explaining how he could change the law because he's the king to do stuff like that. Now Shem says, I want to marry Dina. I'll give you whatever you want. You ask me for money and all. A lot of money, whatever, whatever it is that you ask for, I'll give it to you. Whatever it is that uh, that you uh, that you that you ask for. Now, if you uh, if you look in the Rishonim, let's just uh, run through over here because we're up to pasuk Gimel. You look in the Rishonim, right? Um, the Radak says that that Shem, when when Chamor, sorry, when Chamor is talking, it's in pasuk Chet. He says 
Shechem b'ni chashcha nafsho b'vitchem. Did you notice that? Yeah? That Shechem, my son, he, his soul, he desires b'vitchem. What does that mean? Plural. B'vitchem. Your, not your daughters. Your, plural, daughter. Right? Not b'vitchem. Right? But b'vitchem. Your plural daughter. Now, yeah, who is he talking to? Well, he's talking to all of the brothers, and that's what Radak points out. Right? The Radak says actually his, his phrase is interesting. He says, adam achoso kibito. Now I don't know if that's true, that everybody would treat his sister the same as 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 his daughter. I'm not asking, but that's what the Radak is saying. The Radak is saying that it could have been all of their daughters, right? All, all of the brothers. That's how they were, and 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 Chamor realized that. And so that's why he said Bibitchem. Right now, um, if you look in the Sephorno, the Sephorno says, "Why does Shem say ask me for a lot of stuff?" Because he realized he did something wrong. Right? You say, hey, I, "I should pay you a lot of stuff because I did something wrong." This goes very well with the Malbim that we learned before. The Malbim thought about Sebera Levan Ara that he spoke to to the heart because he was trying to uh, make up for something that he that he did wrong. By the way, this is going to play in a little bit later, right? When when we consider um if the people of Shechem, right, do some sort of like teshuva and they try to come back from what they did. Because we've already seen a Malbim and now we're seeing a Sephorno, right? Who both say that Shechem felt bad. That doesn't make it okay, but it does make it different. Right? And when we when we look at the rest of the story. And if you look in the Ramban, the Ramban says the reason why he's offering a lot of money is because he would like things to go well. He wants them to give Dina as a as a wife to him, right? Uh, willingly. It's so that's a terrible sentence right there. Because Dina didn't want anything to do with him. And where is Dina right now? She's back in his palace. And what is she doing? She's crying and screaming. And and Shechem is now out with Yaakov, and he's trying to convince him that we can really make this work. And Shechem, he just feels like he has to work it out, but he's not nervous that they're going to come and take her back because he has a royal guard, and he's not nervous that they're going to come and uh, and take her and take her back. Um, if you look in the Barashas Rabbah in this Midrash, we'll end with this Midrash. Oh, no, and Rabbi Hirsch. I'm going to do them both. But, um, but if you look in this Midrash, it's something very, very... Um, I, 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 I don't know what the right emotion is, but I'll read it to you and, and we'll see. After the story is all over, Dina doesn't know what to do. You ever wonder what happened to Dina after the story was all over? She doesn't know what to do. The Midrash says, she said, she was embarrassed. She didn't know. She didn't know what to do, and so the midrash says that Shimon promised her, "You just stay with me," and Shimon took her in. And who had the Amar ben Aknanis? And the midrash goes so far to say, when the Jews are going down to Mitzrayim, and the Torah lists all of the, the Jews who go down to Mitzrayim, one of Shimon's kids is Shaul ben Aknanis. He's listed as one of Shimon's children. And the midrash says that Ben Dina It was not Shimon's child. It was Dina's child, because Dina had a child from Shem. And Shimon raised him as his own. That's what the Midrash says. Shimon took in Dina, raised her kids as his own. The Rabbanan Amri Nutla Shimon recover Be'eretz Kenan. And the rabbi said that when Dina died, she went down to Mitzrayim with Yaakov and her brothers, and Dina died. And Shimon himself 
brought her back and buried her in Eretz Yisrael. That's what the Midrash says. So Shimon, you know, he gets a bad rap over here, you know, maybe at the end of the story. But I don't know. There's something very, very tight between Shimon and Dina. Let's just finish with the story by Hirsch, and then we'll call it a night for tonight and pick up here tomorrow. But Rabbi Hirsch writes that all of this that Shem and Pamor say, but, you know, we'll pay you a lot of money. You'll come. You'll be with us. We'll, we'll be one people. All this sounds very nice and fair. And it would indeed be so had the gracious Lord had the grace to first return the girl to her family. And then when she was free, sue for her hand. But as it was, to deal with the father and the brothers while keeping the girl in the dungeon meant no more than an attempt pro forma to give legal appearance to an act of rape and violence. Again, this is Rabbi Hirsch, the same like we saw before. Yaakov doesn't appeal, right, when he finds out because he knows that nobody's going to listen. Rabbi Hirsch writes over here that here comes Shechem and Kamor, and they're trying to work it all out. But meanwhile, Dina's being held in the dungeon, right, and, uh, and they're not just bringing her back and saying, you know, here, we're so sorry, and, uh, you know, uh, and whatever. Okay. So here's where we are, and here's what we need to do, right? Um, we, we need to read a few more psukim in the parak to see what actually happens, and then we'll have to see the words of the Rishonim and the Achronim um, with regards to what are our feelings about Shimon and Levi uh, killing the city of, uh, of Shechem, and uh, if that was uh, justified, not justified, correct, not correct, you know, and, and whatever. So we'll pick up with that tomorrow night. I'm sorry I didn't get to the punchline tonight, everybody, but uh, uh, we'll be back here tomorrow night, same bad time, same bad channel. Everybody have a great night. Thanks a lot for coming, everybody. Yeah, we'll see these for tomorrow. He's a Rashi man, or he's a... Oh, I mean, generally, he's a Rashi man. Oh, is that right?